0: Thank you very much. Let's take God's word together and turn again to the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 13. And we continue our new series on the life of Samson, Judges, chapter 13. And we come to a very important part of Samson's life, you could say, a very important aspect of the record of Samson's life. But it is also a very important aspect in the life of all of God's people. Now, when you have found Judges 13, I'd like for you to look this way, I'm going to repeat that last statement again. We come to a very important aspect in the life of all of God's people today. If you believe that God has saved you, if you believe that you have been born again, that you are a new person in Christ, then this Message today is for you. We're talking today about the matter of consecration. The Bible tells us in Judges 13, Tommy read it a moment ago, in verse number 5 of Judges 13, For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. A nazirite unto god if there's a title for today's sermon it is that a nazirite unto god the word nazirite is a a transliteration of the hebrew word nazir which literally means consecrated one that's all it means samson was to be a consecrated man separated unto god that's what it says The child shall be a Nazarite unto God. Here's a man, we're looking at this man called Samson, a man who's consecrated, separated from his birth for the work and service of God. Would you look this way for a moment? Every Christian is separated from their new birth unto God. The moment you are born again, the moment you experience the new birth, you, like Samson, have been separated from the womb, as it were, unto God. That's your calling, whether you like it or not. And we'll look at it here in just a moment. Everybody wants deliverance, don't we? We want deliverance from sin, from addiction, we want deliverance from fear and doubt. We want deliverance from this present evil age. And we shall be delivered. There's a promise of a coming deliverer. But with the promise of the coming deliverer, just like in this text, with the promise of a coming deliverer comes a warning. Look at what the Bible says in verse number 4. The angel of the Lord had come to Manoah and his wife, And told them that there is coming a deliverer that will deliver, begin to deliver Israel. The message was that that deliverer would be their son. And in verse 4, the angel says, now therefore beware. I've circled that little word, beware. There's coming a a deliverer, so beware. There's coming one to set us free, so beware. Wake up. By the way, that warning still stands today. There's coming a Savior very soon. Our Savior is coming again, and therefore we ought to beware. We ought to wake up. Look alive, they say sometimes. That warning still stands today. There are some precautions or some conditions, you might say, to the coming of this deliverer. Let's look at it. We'll begin by thinking about what is a Nazarite? What is a consecrated one? Go to Numbers chapter 6 with me, please. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Numbers chapter 6 is where we first find this role, this opportunity, this position of a Nazarite. Numbers 6, verses 1 to 8, God is speaking to Moses. The Lord spake unto Moses, Numbers 6, verse 1, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel. And say unto them, when either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite, to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor of grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried All the days of his separation shall he eat nothing that is made of the vine tree, from the kernels even to the husk. All the days of the vow of his separation there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord. He shall be holy and shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow. All the days that he separated himself unto the Lord he shall come at no dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father or for his mother, for his brother or for his sister when they die, because the consecration of his God is upon his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy unto the Lord. There you have it. The word separation or separate is used nine times in those eight verses. It's the same word as Nazarite. Or the same word as consecration. We find that word once in verse 7, the same word. We find that a Nazarite is someone who separates themselves. Now the difference with Samson is he was separated before he was born. And that carries on to the child of God. That's why we're told, be ye holy, for he is holy. Holy. We are, from the moment of our new birth, separated unto God. But there's an interesting aspect in this. There's an aspect of volunteering. An aspect of surrender. The Bible says in verse 2, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When either man or woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow. When someone gets to the place where they say, I'm tired of living for this world, for living for myself, and I am going to live only for God. Now it's interesting, we have the understanding that it was typically for a season, a time. We understand that because it was during that time they would not drink any wine or touch any strong drink or they wouldn't cut their hair for that time and they wouldn't go around a dead body for that time. But when that time was passed, they could go on. When the time of their commitment had passed, I know some Christians who make commitments like that, don't they? One week, Lord, I'm going to serve you. Well, God's not interested for a week of your service. He's interested in your life. He's interested in the vow being made before him, like very much like Samson, from your birth unto your death. Totally and completely consecrated to God. Now can I just say that is the normal Christian life. It should be. It has become the abnormality today. Because the average Christian wants to consecrate one or two hours a week to God. The average person who calls himself a child of God only wants to give or separate themselves for one or two hours a week when they walk into the flaps of this canvas tent. That's their period of separation unto God. But when they leave this place, they'll go right back into living like everybody else. Is that you today? How serious is your separation? Separation involves two parts. Separation from the world and separation to the Lord. And both are essential. Both are important. There is no Nazarite without separating from the world. And there's also no Nazarite unless you separate to God. You can't have one without the other. Separating from the world. Did you know that is expected of you today? We're living in an age, an age, I don't know if Christianity has ever quite experienced it quite like this, but we're living in an age when it is more common that the people of God look like the world than they do look like the people of God. More than ever. And in fact, it has become a an evangel- so-called evangelistic tactic. We'll look like the world and try to blend in with the world and have our worship services like the world and we hope that they'll come in because it'll be so much like what they're used to they'll want to come and hang out with us. And we've forgotten that we have not been called to be like the world. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 14, Paul writes to the Corinthian church and says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial?" Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement, What's this, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing. By the way, that was one of the requirements and expectations for Samson. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And will be a father unto you, and ye shall be sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It's always been expected of God's people to live a separated life. Israel came out of Egypt. Israel was supposed to come out of Babylon. We find over and over, Ezra 10, 11, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor sitteth in the way of, standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. We're told to be different. Isaiah 52 tells us, Jeremiah 51, Revelation 18, verse 4. Many people believe that if we're not there yet, we certainly are very near. Revelation 18, listen to this verse. After these things, verse 1 to 4, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Many people uh, understand Babylon to be representative of the world's system which without a doubt has become the habitation of devils. Without a doubt, the world and its system has become the hold of every foul spirit. And if you are going along with the thrust of the world, then you yourself have been sucked into the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine And of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich. Through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying. Come out of her my people. That ye be not partakers of her sins. And that ye receive not of her plagues. The people of God ought to have nothing to do with this world and its system. Come out. Separated unto God now is the key. Mormons live a separated life of some sort. Monks, Buddhist monks, Catholic monks live a separated life. Muslims, some Muslims live a separated life. Living a separated life from the rest of the world is not just the key, it's only part of it. The real key is living a separated life from the world and unto God. Unto the living God, we've been told in one Corinthians six verse nineteen that we have been bought with a price. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Newsflash: the next time you want to want your little rebellious self wants to rise up inside and say, "Hold on a moment, this is my life. I'll do what I want." Newsflash: you are not your own if you've been born again. Maybe if that's the way you're thinking, then perhaps you've never been born again. You can't call yourself a child of God and yet still own yourself. Ye are not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Romans chapter 14, a beautiful portion of Scripture in verse number 5 Paul writes, one man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. He that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not to the Lord, he eateth not and giveth God thanks. For none of us, watch this, none of us liveth to himself. And no man dieth to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. And whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live therefore or die, we are the Lord's. It would do you good to remember that. Whether you live or die, you belong to God. And therefore you are to live for God. But that doesn't mean just Sunday morning. Would you look this way for a moment? Some of you never received the word. Because you come into a meeting like this and are so distracted. Busy looking at everything else and thinking about everything else. And you never receive the word of God. You're going to walk out of here just the same way you came in. We are called to be separated because we belong to God. That's why Paul says... 2 Corinthians 5, and that he died for all, that they which live, meaning those who've been born again, should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him who died for them. From this day forward, this is what it means to be a Nazarite, that from this day forward, the day that you've been born again, you would no longer live for yourself. You'd be no longer thinking about your plans and and all that you want to do in life and And some of you have a 10-year plan in front of you. What you're going to do after university. What you're going to do after you get this pay raise. And what you're going to do when you buy this car and this house and this property. And there's never a thought about what God wants you to do. Can you imagine being a Nazarite and never ever asking God what he wants you to do? That's the way that most believers live their lives today. And so with this separation comes an expectation. There's an expectation over your life if you call yourself a child of God. Some people think the only reason that you were saved is so you can get out of hell. That's what some people think. Some people think the only reason that they're a Christian is so that they can escape the penalty of their sin. And they walk through life uh, hit, uh, skippity-doo-dah because they have got no expectation, no requirement. They have no thankfulness for what God has done and they just feel like they can do what they want to do because God has rescued them from hell. Beware, we're told there's a threefold vow that we find in Numbers chapter 6. A threefold vow, look at it with me, please. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When either a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Here's the first aspect of the vow and it is it is stated in Judges 13 when the angel came for the child shall be a Nazarite and it says beware I pray thee and, and drink not wine nor any strong drink now why is it some might say well why is it that there's no wine allowed to be drunk is that so that they would abstain from self indulgence maybe but I really think there's two reasons why this command was given number one is that it maintains, he maintains a readiness for service by abstaining from wine. We're told in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 8 to 10, that the the Aaronic priesthood, the priest could not enter into the temple. Do not drink wine or strong drink, thou nor thy sons with thee, when ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. And so here's what we have that the the priests from the lineage of Aaron, uh, they could drink wine when they were not ministering in the temple of the tabernacle. But the second they were to go in to do business with God, they could not touch drink. That was to say the work that they were doing was different than any other work. Now, the reason that a Nazarite could not touch drink at all was because for the entire duration of their vow to God, of their consecration to God, they were to be ready for service. Not just when they walked in the tabernacle. Some priests had gotten into the habit. They do all their outward things, visibly, water, washing the water, all these special things, all the right clothes, walk in, do their things, walk out and be just as wicked as anybody else. There's some men who do that in the pulpit. Some Christians who do that when they come and worship. But not the Nazarite. For the entire duration of his vow and his commitment, he was to be totally consecrated, ready, ready for service. So shall it be for the Christian. So shall it be. This is a, an outward declaration that I am ready. Ready. Now, I'm not saying in some legalistic way you can't drink a glass of wine. That's between you and Almighty God. What I'm saying is you ought to be forever ready. And if a glass of wine makes you unready, don't touch it. If the Facebook makes you unready, get rid of it. You ought to be forever ready. And if there's one thing or other things that make you so that you are not ready for a service, you ought to do like the Nazarite and say, I shall not touch it. A readiness. A readiness. The second reason, I believe, is not to drink wine is because wine belongs to rest after you finish working. You don't drink wine while you're plowing the field. You don't drink wine while you're grinding at the millstone. You don't drink wine while you're working. It's preserved for the end of the day. When your work is completed, you rest. The children of Israel didn't have any wine in the wilderness, did they? Because they hadn't entered into rest. And do you remember the one thing they brought back from Canaan? What was it? Grapes. Big fat grapes to say look what's waiting for us when we enter into rest. And so for the Nazarite another application is he would not drink wine because his work was not finished. Until his vow was complete. Child of God your work is not finished until the Lord calls you home. Now we understand Jesus has finished the work of salvation but a child of God has a work of service to God until we die. We're to always be ready. By the way, we shall enter into rest one day in eternity. A rest from all of this. We shall sit down at the marriage supper of the Lamb and the Bible says we shall drink the cup with the Savior. I'm looking forward to that day. And so a Nazarite has work to be done. Do you remember what Jesus said? I want to share a few verses with you that remind me of my Savior. John chapter 9 and verse number 4. Jesus said this I must work the works of Him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. There's work to be done today. In John chapter 4, Jesus says something very similar. The disciples come and want to give him food. Do you remember John 4 in verse number 31? In the meantime, his disciples prayed him saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. I don't need your meat. I've got it. I don't need your wine. I've got work to do. Therefore said his disciples one to another, hath any man brought him aught to eat? and Jesus saith unto them my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work Amen. say not ye that there are yet four months and then cometh harvest behold I say unto you lift up your eyes look on the fields for there are whites already to harvest there's work to be done I wonder would you look here is there something in your life today that's keeping you from the work of God is there something that you're partaking of that if the Lord Jesus were to call you at that moment, you wouldn't be ready? You wouldn't be ready to serve him. The second thing we find in our text about uh, the vow of a Nazarite found in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 6, and verse number 5, all the days of the vow of the separation, there shall no razor come upon his head until the days be fulfilled in the which he separated himself unto the Lord. Don't cut your hair. The uncut hair of a man was a visual mark of someone different. The uncut hair of a Nazarite was a visible sign of his consecration to God. Some say it's a sign of his unbroken strength. His strength had not been cut he had gotten stronger and stronger. The longer his hair grew, the, it indicated his strength was growing day by day because the source of his strength was not his hair, but his consecration to God. Do you, know, you want to know why so many of us are weak in our faith? Would you like to know why so many of us are so weak in our Christian life? It's because our consecration is so weak. We are not a consecrated people. We care more about what we enjoy. We care more about what we want. And because of that, every time we indulge in pleasure rather than consecration, we're cutting our hair. Our strength is being cut one inch at a time. And instead of feeling the Spirit of God and the power of God coming upon us like Samson, we feel weak and limp because we have no consecration. Some of the most The strongest days in my life, spiritually speaking, have not been the days I've gone to the gym to work out, but have been the days, the times when I have been able to maintain a close and intimate walk with God, the times when I've sensed the Lord's presence and heard His voice and, 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 and devoured His word, and I've felt the locks of my spiritual hair growing because of consecration. Times when I have resisted temptation, times when I have put off distraction, and I have been totally and completely consecrated to the Lord, those days I feel like I could walk on water. Feel like Whitfield and Baxter and others who said, I am invincible until my work on earth is done. But you know the days when I can't seem to get victory over my sin. The days when I indulge in what I want rather than what he wants are the days I feel very weak and unable to serve God and useless to the kingdom of God. Samson had seven locks. Seven is the number of perfection. Perfect strength. I think another explanation for his long hair was a unashamedness of his calling. It was an open public display. I'm a Nazarite, and I've got long hair, and I don't care. You can see it. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not going to tie it up in a bun and put it under a cap and try to hide my calling. I am consecrated to God, whether you like it or not. There's got to be that kind of fearlessness about someone who's consecrated to God. You and I have got to get over being embarrassed You and I have got to get beyond thinking and worrying about what our friends think of us. We've got to get past the opinions of our fellow man. You and I have got to be so consecrated, our hair so long, spiritually speaking, that we don't care if everybody at university thinks we're strange. We've lost the plot. That we don't care if all of our colleagues and co-workers call us a madman. And if all of our family wants to sign us into a mental institution, we ought not care. Unashamed. Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation. Unashamed. The Lord said, if you be ashamed of Him before this generation, this wicked generation, then He would be ashamed of you before His Father and all the holy angels unashamed and the third thing we find in numbers is that he was to come at no dead body avoiding death interestingly this vow was not given to samson samson was not commanded to touch not something dead well that was probably because he was going to have to fight to deliver the nation of israel And he'd use a jawbone of a dead donkey to do some of it. Reminds me of our Savior. Our Savior also is a fighting Savior, a warrior Savior, defeating sin, death, and hell. And therefore, he tasted death for every man, the scriptures say. What another vivid picture of our Savior. But there is an application here for the believer The Bible says that friendship with the world is enmity with God. There are some things that equal death that we ought to avoid. Friendship with the world is being one of them because all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life, the Bible says, are all coming to destruction and are coming to naught. We ought to run from it, avoid it, at every cost. It would do you and I good today to read these words that say when a man or a woman shall separate themselves to vow a vow of a Nazarite to separate themselves unto the Lord. It would do you and I good today to say by your grace God I will separate myself for you. The Bible says in our text then then he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Would you look here for a second? Would you like to see the church of the living God delivered out of the hands of the Philistines today? The majority of the bride of Christ is enslaved to this world. And the worst part about it is, as you look at this text, the worst part about it is Israel began to argue with Samson. Don't you know the Philistines be lords over us? As if it was a good thing. How many times in the last couple of years have we heard Christians speaking like this? Don't you know the government is lords over us? Maybe they've forgotten God is Lord over us. And God's people, if we would vow unto the Lord and consecrate ourselves unto Him, then might we begin to see the church, the people of God delivered out of the hands of this world. Now, an interesting fact. God used Gideon to raise up an army. Samson fought alone. Another picture of our Savior. Jesus Christ fought the battle alone. He finished it all by himself. But this was an indication of the condition of Israel. There was no army, there was nobody to call upon. There was nobody to call upon, so Samson had to do it himself. Would you look this way, Christian? Stop waiting on everybody else to join you. Stop waiting on an army. And you stand up and live a consecrated life for God. And who knows, maybe you and through you will the church be delivered by the strength of our Savior, Jesus Christ. What an amazing opportunity that God would use us. That He'd want to use us at such a time as this. But it'll never happen unless you're willing To be separated from this world unto God. Separating yourself from those things that distract you. That are keeping you from being ready to serve Him. Separating those things that are calling you to take it easy. Come rest. No, your rest is found in Christ. Are you ashamed of the Savior? You're constantly cutting your hair. Lacking consecration. Making yourself weak. I think I I love this story of Samson because even when Samson fails and even when when he breaks what he ought to be doing and he isn't what he ought to be, still there's redemption. And in time, his hair grows again. In time, his consecration returns and his strength returns. And so maybe today you find yourself almost clean shaven. Praise God that you still can make a vow today, consecrate yourself today, And your strength will return. Because it isn't you anyways. It's the strength of our great God. That's the one thing we find over and over in the life of Samson. The spirit of the Lord began to move upon him. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. The spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the spirit of the Lord returned. But you know what? We have the benefit of having the spirit of the Lord Always. He doesn't leave us. He's upon us and in us. We just need to walk in the power of His might under His control. May the Lord raise us up. May the Lord put it in your heart today to be consecrated unto Him. Let's pray. Father, we know we are not what we should be, we're not living as consecrated as we ought to be. So we ask of thee this morning, by thy Holy Spirit, help us today to be separated from this world and unto thee. Show us, Lord, the things that are distracting us, that are hindering us from being ready. Show us, Lord, where our strength has been cut. We may do business and have that strength restored again. Oh God, help us, we pray. For we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.